Hello, and welcome to Got the Runs, the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of uh, Catwoman and the freaking Iron Man. <laughs> Am I right? A bat and a cat. I, uh, sure. they, they controversially, uh, in Tom King's relatively recent Batman run referred to each other as bat and cat and people hated it, frankly, <laughs> like as pet names. So to yeah, speak. basically, um, yeah. And people hated it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, there, I don't know anything about that whole batman catwoman thing but it it was making some headlines i know in the last couple of years do you have anything to say on the matter oh like the like the wedding yeah and then they like get it like a spin-off series yeah, that was like i don't care <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, i i read pro- like uh yeah people got very mad people got a little annoyed that uh they kept calling each other bat and cat and didn't like the dialogue it was that was like kind of like you know a 50 50 split they spent like a year no more than a year they spent like five years building up to a wedding because the like kind of first act climax of that run was that batman proposed to catwoman and then the like second act climax was that they didn't get married and people like lost their minds and were like we were told that they were gonna get married um and then DC like cut their run short because it was supposed to be like a hundred <laughs> issues, and they were like, "It's now going to actually be like sixty-five. Um, wow, I've heard of got the runs, but cut the runs, cut the runs. Yes, indeed. Uh, they they gave him some laxative. Oh no, that's not. I guess what would you do if you have the runs? They gave him some more fiber in his diet. No, that's constipation. Put a, also, put a cork in him. Yeah, well, I guess I don't really know what you do if you have nonstop diarrhea. <laughs> that part i certainly will cut i've but been searching frantically for the answer <laughs> <laughs> but yeah tom king had a 100 issue planned uh batman saga largely Classic. built around his relationship with catwoman it was cut short after like uh, yeah massive fan backlash to the aborted wedding arc and he got a like limited batman and catwoman series uh, in which he was able to like carry out some of the ideas for kind of like the late stage of that run, but um, but yeah, uh, I I had checked out of the run long before the wedding, but also I was like, I don't know, I feel like you can't get mad about the direction of a story that is only two thirds done <laughs> to the point sure. that it's like it's canceled. So it, like we'll never yeah, know. Was it like, literally like that, like people were so upset about yeah like, they, they canceled happening. the run because people were so mad that the wedding didn't happen it was That's also crazy. like uh uh superhero weddings were like very in vogue at that time there was also like a kitty pride and colossus wedding that was supposed to happen and then didn't happen and then rogan gambit did get married and headlined uh, mr and mrs x for oh. a little while apparently I mean, a good ah. book I haven't read it but people were excited about it anyway so like superhero weddings and like bait and switch superhero weddings and like refusing to allow superheroes to be married was kind of like in the discourse and of course like right. all superhero weddings are now like fraught and and like stand under the shadow of one more day so people get very touchy about like sure, superhero yeah. weddings weirdly 
Well, and of course, everything has to live up to with this Ring IV web. Of course. Um, all this to say that I was like, this guy's a cool character. What's his deal? Oh, he's I typed in, it's Parker fanfiction. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Not familiar, but I typed in uh, Batman Stark. <laughs> <laughs> and and got a lot of YouTube of you. results. Yeah, I And we're like, who would win? In the most epic battle of I can't our time. imagine how mad people must have been that when they did JLA Avengers, Batman fought Captain America instead of <laughs> Iron Man. And also that the result of it was like, they don't fight. They like spar briefly. And then they're like, we agree that Captain America would eventually win. <laughs> that's literally, that's literally, it's like one page of them being like, <laughs> Or at like uh, it's like that scene in Princess Bride where they each get to go like ding ding and like take a swing right. at the face like that's all they do, and then Batman is like, "All right, I concede that you would <laughs> okay, eventually defeat up. me." And Captain America is like, "I agree." <laughs> They're like, instead of like actually fighting, let's work together to like solve the problems that our teams are having. And Captain America's like, "Sure, okay, a great comic." I mean, like, um, is that true? It's pretty good. I mean, like when you consider how crazy it is especially like it will never happen again but even at the time for dc and marvel to be like yes we are going to work together and let the justice league and the avengers be used together in a comic book and like for for it to come out and not be just like terrible <laughs> in, in sure, every imaginable yeah. way like it's pretty good and the fact that like you've got kurt busick and george perez r.i.p who both um like worked on both of those titles in like right. celebrated runs. It's like as good as that book can possibly be basically when you consider all of like the corporate implications that it has behind it. Right. I do think that as good as that book could possibly be is like not that good, but <laughs> it's like uh it, it's like a B plus superhero comic but the fact that jla avengers is a b plus superhero comic means it's like an a plus plus comic (laughs) sure 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 sure. this is this bodes ill for uh, our upcoming miniseries because we are delving more into uh the the mainstream (laughs) how insanely derailed we got the like literal (laughs) second that it was like this one's in the real dc universe let's talk about it you you said batman we've talked about this (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but this is, of course, the first episode of a new miniseries to quote uh, the woman from Freaky Friday, Cookie? <laughs> oh. Uh, I, this is the first of two conversations I anticipate us having today about whether or not the E at the end of a name is to be pronounced. <laughs> I don't know what you're referring well, to. We'll but get to it when we get to it. <laughs> In we'll the immortal uh, paraphrase of Mr. Incredible. This is, of course, a miniseries on the great Darwin Cook. I don't think it's ever been in question whether to pronounce the E in his last name, <laughs> despite what I just did. Um, just off the top, I mean... What a great name. That is his real name. It's, yes. It is his real name. It's also crazy because his brothers are like Keith and Richard. <laughs> or like like two <laughs> extremely people. Um that's a, that's not their I think one of them is Dennis, I wanna say, but like it's two it's two right. extremely like normal guy names, and then it's like wow, how can you like swing as big as Darwin with a Y with a Very Y cool. and then be like, and our other son Dennis. <laughs> 
<laughs> sure. Like, yeah. yeah, truly wild. But yes, his real name, uh, a great name. Um, yeah, a, a name that I also initially was like, well, obviously that's a pen name, but no, it's, uh, it's the real deal. It's, it's somewhat fitting. I have been thinking kind of this whole week about him and what a like kind of like From larger Powerpuff than Girls? life character uh, sorry what from powerpuff girls oh <laughs> <laughs> now that's a larger than life character uh, yeah that is a larger than life character for sure no i have been thinking about darwin cook who is himself like i said a larger than life character in in many ways who seems like i mean we'll talk about it even as we like just get into sort of like his journey into comics but there's something <laughs> you're laughing very hard at something <laughs> i'm looking at him <laughs> like what a good design like him is he has, incredible like, thigh high like super frilly duper boots, pointy yeah. heeled boots now the frill is like he he has like the santa claus out because he has like a yeah. very santa claus well, belt yeah and then, like that, his so, little like cotton skirt <laughs> i have always been confused by that in that like obviously he's the devil but he's he is very santa like as well yeah and then he has like lobster claws which i really like uh, at any rate, I just it's just really funny to look at him. <laughs> I forgot that there's an episode where he becomes extremely powerful and gets like really muscular and turns into like super <laughs> a full a full on demon. Yeah, he's him. Um. Anyways, Darwin Cook. Um. Yeah, I, I, it's like he just he has such an unorthodox sort of like path into comics. The fact that he came to the game like quite late became instantly like huge and then died so young it is like all like it's such a short career with so like such an instantly huge impact and then he he just like really does have a legacy in terms of like how other artists talk about him and how like respected he is and like it's also funny because like there's there's all these like stories about him too that you'll often see alluded to where he is talked about as being kind of like iconoclastic or people will like kind of euphemistically refer to his like no nonsense attitude um which so they just put out um a, a like deluxe edition of the last two parker books that they've been working on for a long time and it's kind of like the first thing to come out since he died and there's a like a round table conversation in it with ed brubaker who he like worked on Catwoman with um, at right. early on in both of their careers. Bruce Tim, who he of course worked on with on like the DC animation stuff that was sort of his avenue into comics eventually. Um, and Scott Dunbeer, who's like the, the editor of the collection basically um, and worked with him to collect it previously and so the three of them were like also talking about this but like much less euphemistically where <laughs> bruce tim was basically like darwin cook is like the best friend who's ever punched me in the face and ed brubaker wow. is like he was like uh i of course have my story about how i stopped talking to darwin cook for 10 years as we all do <laughs> it's like whoa what are you talking about where they like so so he does also have this status as kind of like 
you know, someone who's not afraid of conflict at all and who is very much has like, I guess like high standards would be kind of how I characterize it and, or like a lot of conviction about the things that he feels strongly about. And if you like disagree with him, then he's like really not afraid to just like pull the plug on your entire relationship. But then it also seems like he's also like the kind of guy who's very easy to make up with if you get the opportunity to, because then they're all also like, and of course he was one of my closest friends. <laughs> right. Um, and and like yeah i think when you combine that with sort of like his art style which we'll again talk about at length but which of course has like so much of like the 50s and 60s and like pop art in it in a way that makes it feel like both classic and yet also somehow timeless and he also like when you look at his interests where it's like the crime fiction of donald westlake and like 70s muscle cars it's like so obviously this man is 85 and has been for his entire (laughs) life and yet he's not he's like only 53 he or he was 53 when he died yeah he's he's just sort of like a man out of time in a very interesting way that that i feel like kind of contributes to his like mystique or like his mythos in some way right yeah that makes sense to me like i didn't so i think we talked about this last episode but i only really know new frontier which you know i read like i said like 10 years ago plus Mm -hmm. uh and the main thing because you know i i was reading the ego and other tales like the yeah the hard sort of cover. bigger yeah the 2017 that they put out then and like what what really surprised me was just like partly like definitely i see like the 50s influence and the pop art and stuff and there's like there's a very specific way he draws batman <laughs> that mm-hmm. is like very instantly iconic because like he like puts batman's like nose or like his oh yeah he he really like likes the like angle. triangular point and but, like it's very like it's a very like shallow angle if yeah, you know what I it's mean. like it's like a sort of like chevron <laughs> right uh but but what really surprised me looking because like the collection has sort of like a pretty broad collection of his work over a pretty broad mm-hmm. time period it's, it's just kind like of just like a smattering of his one-off batman stories which yeah a lot of it of is random. from early in his career but some of it is like from much later in his career (laughs) (laughs) totally Um, but i just mean like like batman ego is like his first published work and um selena's big score is uh, very also very early on in his career and those are kind of like the two big stories that we're going to be talking about and like really form the bedrock of that collection right yes definitely especially selena's big score that's like kind of the big story in it but I was looking at the Harley Quinn story. Um, it's from the Harley Quinn holiday special, I guess is what it is. And I don't know when that came out, but that would have been like quite, quite close to uh, to the end of his life. Yeah, because that's that's an Amanda Connor uh, joint who I believe also wrote the foreword for that that yes. book. Um, yes, she did. But so she she and Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, who is also like a well known big two creator uh, and who is married to Amanda Connor, are two of the people who like sing sing Darwin Cook's praises to like the high heavens. Um, and they like really made it big uh, doing Harley Quinn in like the 20 teens so right uh, i shouldn't say like like jimmy palmiotti has been in comics since like the 90s like he didn't make it big but that but, has been like a big success title for them recently right and just looking at that like the art i 
probably definitely wouldn't peg it as his and just like just the fact like that he has such a versatility of styles in some way mm-hmm. like that well, is I don't, sort of I what don't stuck out that, to me did he do the art on that or did amanda connor do the art on that he did the art he is just only credited as the artist I'm looking at the splash page right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I, I think I do think that he is like working probably a bit more in the Amanda Connor mold. Um, right. And and I think the colors are also potentially contributing to that a little bit. But I agree. Like I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have ever like opened that and been like, aha, of course, Darwin Cook on art. I would have been like, ah, a Darwin Cook type <laughs> of which right. like, again, th- this is like a kind of weird thing about his legacy. Like there are a lot of people who I would say are kind of like Darwin Cook types, which is like it just feels like we're not far enough removed from him for him to have been like that influential. But like, there are a lot of people. And I think, I mean, part of it may also be that his influences are other like Titans of comics who influence a lot of people too. So (laughs) maybe it it, seems like his style is like, at least like sort of a cousin of the like, batman superman especially batman like yeah for sure so i mean like that's a that's a good kind of excuse to talk about his career but his his first sort of connection to comics is of course working as uh, an artist who did storyboards and designed the batman the animated series uh, opening theme but uh, but like yeah so working with like bruce tim who designed kind of the whole aesthetic of what was kind of considered the DC animated universe for a long time and working on Batman, the animated series, Superman, the animated series and Batman beyond was, was sort of like his break from at least like a DC kind of side of things. So it does, it does make sense that there's kind of a lot of Timness in his art. <laughs> you like Timness? Mr. Timness. Oh boy. <laughs> He talked about becoming interested originally in comics as a relatively young boy uh, reading Spider-Man and detective comics stories and falling in love with those and then really getting into the spirit for a while and working to become a professional artist. But his dad was like, I beg of you, do not become a comic book artist. Um, the, uh, the page rate, I believe, at that time was $35 a page, which when you are producing 22 pages a month is not very much money. <laughs> right. And then also it says that like when, you know, in his sort of pre-career, which it sounds like never really got off the ground it you know, i'm reading from wikipedia here but it says mm-hmm. that he was paid 35 dollars a page and produced one page a week <laughs> so uh, probably not conducive both yeah. in terms of expediency and economics yeah i uh, wonder if it was that so so i that yeah he now i'm jumping around about how how to come at this but i do wonder was he only producing one page a week because that's all the work that he was getting? Or was he producing one page a week because that was like as fast as he could go? Yeah. So yeah, I think maybe, uh, uh, sorry, you continue. Oh, I was just going to say he, he considered comics. He did not ultimately pursue it, but you know, was certainly like fell in love with art. Um, attended George Brown college. Speaking of, uh, Toronto areas, post-secondary yeah, institutions. Really, uh, we didn't. I didn't even realize that we're sort of doing back to back 
Toronto icons here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. So uh, attended George Brown College for one year, said, and I quote, uh, I was more focused on having fun than excelling in my studies and was expelled <laughs> one year later. So he was like kind of floating around, kind of directionless. It was probably uh, around that time that he did his first comics work, which is like kind of like lore-ish uh, <laughs> again. Like in his, the Weekenders? Like, yeah. It, but no, it kind of ties into like his his like saga of entry to comics. But right. debuted in the final issue of DC's New Talent Showcase, which was a thing that they did to basically give unknown creators uh, a platform to do yeah, short like stories sort of to like showcase new talent you could say yeah you could say <laughs> that's that's one way of thinking about it for sure um so he appeared in the final issue uh you can actually find his story out there it's like a textless uh short story about a private eye rescuing a girl from kidnappers it is tragically called the private eye and not called what i originally thought when i saw the first page which was uh ten thousand small group bills or the girl dies which i think is an incredible <laughs> title for a short story especially but that's the only text in the story it's of course done ransom note style being a ransom note and the rest is just completely textless showing like the pi showing up to make the exchange change getting jumped uh killing a bunch of guys and rescuing the girl in question have you uh have have you seen this have you heard about this his this, ten, this ten early little grip. story yeah i did not read this what i was what i was going to mention was like it's interesting because he simultaneously like a I, you know we talk about this a lot but like him especially like he feels very cinematic mm -hmm. in terms of like the way he's establishing shots and also like in like in selena's big score he'll have like the interstitial panels mm -hmm. with like the different colors and stuff which sort of yeah. reminded me of uh saul bass who is like a tile designer from like the mid 20th century and you know he did like the credits for psycho and stuff like that like i'm sure if you looked him up and actually was probably an influence on darwin cook just looking mm -hmm. at the kinds of fonts he liked to use but he is very cinematic and then also like i feel like he's simultaneously drawn in two directions and maybe this is just like a batman thing but like between i can do this with no text but then also like I, like I'm telling the story with no text, but mm -hmm. then also there are giant narration boxes <laughs> with, with like long paragraphs laid over top of like a textless storytelling. Yes, yeah. So yeah, we we can talk about this more once we get to like ego proper. But like the the shadow of Frank Miller is like heavy over Batman ego in particular for sure, um, and and Selena's big score to a certain extent as well. But it's like it's really really there uh, in in Batman ego. So uh, yeah, I I felt like again you can find this story pretty easily. It's extremely dense. It's only five pages, but it has like I think over fifty panels. I counted, so it's like almost ten panels a page. And that's including, like, uh, uh, one of those pages is, like, just a splash page, like a splash title page. So it's right. really 50 panels over, like, four pages. And I would say there's probably too many panels. Like, it's not the most economically told story or something that you're, like, you know, this clearly didn't need text. I mean, it doesn't need text. You can figure out what's going on. But I don't feel like if you added text, it would be, like, this is bad. 
so and and like aesthetically it's not like you know the signature style it's a much more sort of like dc house style of the 80s right which makes sense uh, because he was a young artist trying to get published i see you've sent me two links here i've just sent you some salt oh, yeah. bath oh, stuff yeah. so you can see the Ab- so absolutely <laughs> and i think like I'll uh, I'll counter by sending you the designs that he made for the Parker books, which are like aping that that aesthetic for sure. So he, like you said, he like leaves comics and then is just like basically like a graphic designer. Like he still works in art. Yeah, and, it is and worth like saying. so again, and maybe this is just like showing our age and the extent to which we don't know what life in the '80s was like. But the story of how he like does end up getting a job in like art and design, anyways, despite being expelled from art college after one year, is like. I get like this is kind of like the timelessness of his like whole story that it feels like to me. He feels like a Madison Avenue guy in some ways. Who he is, is like, little madman. Yeah, it's like he should be twenty years older than he actually is somehow. And so he was like working at this bar, which I think was actually called like the Madison Avenue something in downtown Toronto, like waiting tables. And these guys from a music magazine walked in and were talking about how they needed an art director. So he like went into the back and like put a portfolio together and then came out and was like, are you hiring? Um, and they were like, yes, come be our, the art director of our magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I feel like it is very much an art, an artist thing to be like, I went there for one year and then I left because like, I got some crazy job or like... Me that and also like just like i don't you don't really need the degree necessarily but also it does seem like in the 80s like you could just walk into a store and like get hired on the spot or Mm -hmm. like call one person and they'll be like i like your moxie you're hired maybe not the 80s but you know (laughs) in in the darwin age but like that's what i'm saying is like it that doesn't feel like something that could happen in the 80s it feels like something that could happen in the 50s or the 60s, right. but it's like, but no, it did happen to him in the 80s. And so is that because, like, that just is how it happened sometimes in the 80s? Like, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that's probably still how it sometimes happens today, but, like, right. I'm, you know, not all the time. And so I'm like, was it more common back then? Or is that just also part of the kind of, like, Darwin Cook like panache or like you know the magic of of the man yeah and it's it's interesting because like i almost feel like his art he feels less like sort of maybe it's just a case of the subject matter being a little less conducive to being like sort of like fanboyy mm-hmm. but when i think of like of like sort of like fanboy creator where it's like i'm aping a certain style like i have a lot of reverence for like these certain creators and like my style is sort of like my own take on these guys you do i feel like you feel a little more like worshipfulness and like putting themselves ahead of you whereas i feel like with him and you know i i don't know anything about his intent or anything like that i haven't read any interviews or anything but it does feel like his work is more like it's like it's like, yeah, you have those guys. And then, like, here's me as well. Like, he almost, like, exists alongside his influences rather than being, like, here are my influences and yeah. sort of, like, cowering behind them. He does He does have, like, a real, like, the coolest kid at the nerd table sort of, like, vibe to him. <laughs> sure. Or, like, um, like for the for the Stranger Things heads out here. Um, have you watched any of season four? 
I have not watched. I've oh, probably that's seen right. like five you famously, you famously are. I don't watch non, TV. You're a non thing. Um, <laughs> in the like latest season of uh, Stranger Things, they introduce a new character who is called Eddie Munson, who is like the high schooler who runs uh, the D and D game that like the kids play now that they're in like ninth grade mm-hmm. but he's like a metalhead who like wears a motorcycle jacket and like worships ozzy osbourne and has like hair down to his waist and like you know is is very much like the rock kid as much as he is like the nerd whereas all the other kids at the table are just like nerds <laughs> and that's like kind of how i also envision darwin cook being in some ways where he is like the one who is like he's not like sitting at the nerd table playing a detective it's more like it's he's not sitting at the nerd table because it's the only place that they'll let him sit he's sitting at the nerd table because like that's where the people who can talk to him about like all the things that he's interested in are sitting (laughs) you're like writing darwin cook fan fiction at this point i I, I I guess pretty well i I, the reason i was thinking about this is because while he was working at this magazine he has like way of kind of keeping up with comics was that they would go for lunch on Wednesdays um, and like hit the comic shop where they would like not like they would occasionally buy comics but he talks more about how he would like pick through like um, old life and time magazines and buy those to use as like design references but still also being like hey let's check out these like comics as well and like keep tabs on what's happening and then like as he as he kind of like grew in uh, esteem at the magazine, a bunch of like the younger artists would start coming too. And so there's a quote from Michael Cho who uh, has like now also kind of made his way into uh, the world of comics with a very similar kind of stylistic aesthetic, um, but who originally was working with him at uh, at the magazine as kind of like a junior artist and he says we were total nerds he was too but he was the coolest of us he was still the kind of nerd who could spot who inked what from the corner of a jack kirby panel though um and then it says one day their regular waitress overheard them talking about comics and she dubbed them the superman club the nickname stuck but once mr cook was out of town or missed a week they jokingly called themselves the jimmy olsen club so it is like (laughs) Like, sure, it's fan fiction, but it's also, like, he held court with these artists, and they were called the Superman Club, but he was Superman. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. So, like, yeah, just, like, the natural charisma of him, it just seems to, like, permeate uh, in a lot of different ways, uh, including, I think, the ways in which he sort of interacts with his his influences like you're saying where it's like he doesn't feel worshipful of them he feels uh like inspired by them Mm -hmm. and then like willing to like uh, like almost in dialogue with them is sort of how i'd characterize it where he's not like it was so cool when jack kirby did this and so i also do that it's like that was like an interesting idea and here's what happened when like i tried to do like jack kirby meets like you know roy lichtenstein or or like you know what what have you I guess like the confidence of, of blending of styles and uh, willingness to sort of like embrace and, and try different things in such a way that it doesn't feel like he's just like constantly aping different people. He's like synthesizing his, his favorite parts or the things that interest him most about different artists. Right. It also should be noted just in case uh, we get any angry letters that, 
he did the title sequence to Batman Beyond, not to the animated series. Did I say the animated series? You did, yes. I did. Uh, I did mean Beyond, yes. It's it's really funny because he's like kind of sour about Batman Beyond because he's like Batman in the future. What a hacky friggin' concept! And like they wouldn't right. let us make it violent enough. <laughs> right, which is crazy. Oh, man. I mean, like Batman Beyond is like <laughs> we should like do a bonus episode <laughs> on Batman Beyond because Batman Beyond is just like crazy and like if like of all the like gritty nineties like. Ver- like it basically like i feel like the, the log line for batman beyond is like what if batman was more like the matrix and like for that to like be cool and good is like pretty <laughs> insane so yeah he he was working in like the design world for some time and then in his 30s decided that he wanted to try and come back to comics couldn't get a job with one of the publishers applied for a job with uh, the animated series uh, through the comics journal and was subsequently hired uh, and then worked in animation for a few years until maybe the craziest part of this story <laughs> an editor at DC was throwing out a bunch of old rejected pitches and found the pitch for Batman man ego and was like oh actually this sounds good <laughs> and then like called him and was like do you still want to do this and he was like sure um and so he made the jump from animation into comics and spent the remainder of his career primarily as a comics artist batman ego published in 2000 he was 37 that's <laughs> crazy so like but then it's like Ed Brubaker is. I mean, like you know, I know we're not going to talk about that yet. Are we going to talk about the their Catwoman stuff more, or is this mostly it? I mean, we can't. Like, it's it's hard not to talk about the. Or, or do you mean like do an episode on their Catwoman stuff? Right. No, no. no I, I included uh, Selena's big score in this because he also wrote it. But for the remainder, you know, I'm sure he was a very involved collaborator because I can't imagine that he wasn't. Um, but but he wasn't writing per se. Uh, he was primarily doing the art. Um, yeah, it's it, it's an interesting run. He completely redesigned like the Catwoman suit into the modern iteration um, that is basically still being used today. What like when people draw the Catwoman suit, it is like you know the the his his is like the modern era reference uh, Catwoman suit. Um, so that's kind of like a big lasting impact from that that time but yeah that that started up in 2001 when again like he wasn't super well known as an artist um ed brubaker like had been around and been published several times but he like frequently talks about like how darwin cook made his career because his art like made everyone start reading his catwoman book basically and then like keep reading it after he left which he did like fairly quickly uh i think they only did a year's worth of issues together but but it made everyone start like paying attention to his Catwoman and keep reading it after it was done. And then once he finished Catwoman, like he did stints on Batman. Um, and of course, Gotham Central is kind of like an iconic early Brubaker title. And then those just launched him to uh, to, you know, greater and greater heights. And he's he's one of the sort of superstar A-list creators of the 2000 and 2010s. But it's it's kind of weird because like, you know, 
we're gonna sort of talk about it, but it's like he doesn't really do that much exactly right darwin cook or ed brubaker darwin cook are you talking about ed I, I was i was talking about ed brubaker yeah i mean like i said as we were doing kind of like the intro in the last episode like darwin cook is in that weird zone where it's like uh, as you put it real ones no um <laughs> insofar as like ed brubaker i mean i i wouldn't necessarily expect anyone to know who ed brubaker was if they weren't a comics fan either but but people might because like he popularly yeah, yeah like he 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 wrote on Westworld. He wrote on um, that old young one. <laughs> um, too old to Tooldies die young. Dough. Is that what it's called? Yeah, its fans are of course called Tooldies. <laughs> oh boy! Um, like like he has written in TV. He you know he created the Winter yeah. Soldier. Like he he's yeah done he lots sort of, of touched things in a more mainstream way. Yeah. In the like same it's way that like if someone's Jonathan like Hickman or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Where where if you mention Ed Brubaker's name and someone's like, oh Ed Brubaker, who's that? You you could like in five words make them like understand his like cultural relevance. Whereas like Darwin Cook, they probably haven't heard of him. And then they were like, when they're like, oh who's that? You're like, well, he did um, The New Frontier uh, and like some and really like, beloved people, adaptations of like 70s crime novels. <laughs> yeah, and, and people know The New Frontier. But like other than that, it's not like he has like a run on Batman where he like does Batman for like 25 issues and everyone loves it. Like, no, that's pretty much his only like mainstream, well-known, you know, like by comic standards mm-hmm. thing he does, right? Yeah, the new frontier is like such a huge smash hit that it basically gives him the cred to kind of do whatever he wants, and so for the most part, that is like he he does plenty of like covers. That was kind of like a go to. That's always a good way to be like a money making artist in comics. Once you've like made your bones, like that's basically all Alex Ross does and has done for the right. past like fifteen years is like paint covers and get paid an insane amount of money for it. But other than that, yeah, like once once he finishes New Frontier, it's like, do you want to do the Spirit? And he's like, oh, my favorite comic <laughs> ever. Yeah, I want to do the Spirit. <laughs> and then when he's like, I want to do my own thing. I think I'm going to adapt the Parker <laughs> novels, um, which was like this whole thing, like you know, in in. I guess like a way that is very typical of him. He had to like go out and get Donald Westlake's like blessing before he felt comfortable to like move ahead with it at all. And like it, that is really like a a passion project for him and like a labor of love in a way beyond anything else. I think he ever really did. And, but like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much like, those are the big ones, especially for him as like a writer. There were a few other projects that he did as an artist, but nothing that was like so long running that it was like, and of course, like the classic, you know, Darwin Cook run on it, like it's Catwoman. Like yeah. if you're talking about the Darwin Cook run on, you're which probably is like four the, issues and, yeah. then the, and then Selena's big score, which is its own thing. Yeah. Just quickly, because I was looking at his like whole bibliography I well maybe you don't. Do you know about Just Imagine? Uh like the 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 series as it exists. You're referring of course to Just Imagine Stanley creates the DC universe. Yes. <laughs> yes. I I know about Just Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
this is crazy. Yeah, it's completely demented. The concept of Just Imagine is literally what I just said. The title <laughs> of the book was Just Imagine dot dot dot. And it was like, what if Stan Lee had created the DC universe? And it was like, all right, Stan, like late Stan. Um, yeah, this is from like early 2000s. Yeah. All right, Stan, imagine you had been given like all you have is the character's name. Um, so it's like Green Lantern. And, like, forget everything you know about the Green Lantern. Imagine, you know, one of your artists has just said, Stan, I got it. Green Lantern. Like, what have you, what do you come up with? And so he would do these, like, one shot issues of, like, you know, the, the staples of the DC universe, but it's like, imagine, imagine if Stan Lee had created these characters, which is a completely, like, yeah, that's that's like very much could only have come out during the stretch of time where it was like Stanley is like comics favorite uncle that everyone knows and recognizes, and like he, his the status of his like extent to which he created the characters that he often claims like heavy creatorship of is completely like uncontested as right. far as the sort of general consuming public is concerned, where they're like. I, I do wonder that versus like today where it's like, well, you know, of course, I, I will say like, as far as like Stanley truthers go, I'm probably more on like the pro Stanley side than like your average, uh, a person who person is, is like, in the know. well, who is like prepared to bring up how like, you know, Stanley didn't actually create those guys. Right. Like, I, I think I give him more credit for a lot of those characters than a lot of people. But I also think that just imagine sure does show the extent to which collaboration <laughs> is sometimes an important part of the secret sauce. Sure. I mean, like, I, my, my answer to the question posed by the title is just like, that would probably be normal. <laughs> uh, yeah, just imagine one of many crazy things to involve Stanley in the kind of like post nineties uh, phase for sure. But it is also us... very funny that he gives them all like alliterative names. Yes, it is. I mean, again, like that. He's like, that's my thing, don't you know? Yeah, he really like leans into the Stanley of it all. Batman ego. His first published work... Ego? Yes. Do your dragon. <laughs> I just did. So. All right. I cannot stress this heavily enough. Inspired <laughs> by my dinner with Andre. <laughs> I did see this. And, like, inspired by, <laughs> quote, 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 heavy quotation marks. Uh-huh. Like, in the sense that it's two people talking to each other. Sure. I'm yes. sure it's inspired by my dinner with Andre. <laughs> And that like, is just a hilarious a, like, a thing discussion. to reference as like, yeah, for my Batman story, I'm thinking of a sort of my dinner with Andre. <laughs> I, I have not seen the film, but I imagine it differs tonally. <laughs> yeah, I think that is uh, fair to say. So, yeah, it, again, crazy how it came about. Um brought back from the dead from a rejected pitch and then expanded into a fuller sort of mini graphic novel i assume this was a prestige format book which is where they like square bind it as though it's like a mini mini paperback uh, as opposed to just like stapled pages and uh, and yeah as you alluded to a philosophical journey into the psyche of uh, of batman what's what's the subtitle that it gives it on like the first page oh, well it 
speaking of him being very like cinematic he does like a late title he does like a late title card drop (laughs) i forgot that it opens on the no and then pulls out to be the you are now leaving gotham city drive safely Mm -hmm. line right and like he drops the ego like 30 plus yeah it's quite it's quite deep in we see the cackling batman the big ego and it is subtitled a psychotic slide into the heart of darkness sure this story has so many of the things about like batman discourse generally that (laughs) i despise that i was like there's no way this can be good every time one of them came up and then every time i was like all right that was pretty good (laughs) i was like that's exactly what i was gonna say because like when i (laughs) when it's like it's christmas and it's like the two christmas gifts are bruce wayne gets a zorro action figure and mark the wayne gets a pearl necklace (laughs) i'm just like thinking even more so in terms of like the willingness to engage with (laughs) such subjects as which is the real personality bruce wayne or batman right why hasn't batman killed the joker isn't he ultimately responsible for everyone joker kills yeah why does batman continue to do his thing when it's like clear he can't really like make a mark or like is he perpetuating the existence of super crime in gotham all that stuff i would say i consider those some of the least interesting subjects in like batman well worn yeah to say the least and so so, i want to do a a quick plot summary just while we're here sure Uh, so basically batman has foiled uh, a joker scheme and uh, everyone has been kind of wrapped up except for uh an informant who made off with the score batman chases this is him. all by the way told to us in impossible yeah, in, to read cursive in, yeah well i'll talk about the cursive in, in a minute but <laughs> let's let's stick to the summary for now sure, sure, um, sure, sure. yeah all of this happened off panel batman um finally tracks down the guy he's like waiting for him or or like spies him on a bridge because batman himself is wounded and then the guy climbs up on the bridge uh and prepares to jump and then batman saves him the guy subsequently reveals that uh because joker found out that he was the informant he has like vowed to get the guy's family when he gets out of prison and the guy basically says like I would rather have my family be dead than like at the mercy of the Joker. So I killed them and then subsequently also kills himself, which causes Batman to return to the Batcave in uh, a stupor and then subsequently engage in a psychotic slide into whatever that was where he is confronted with like kind of like the personification of the Batman as like a separate entity from Bruce Wayne and the two of them. Yeah, who has some crazy teeth. Uh, the two of them kind of provide a... It's 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 funny. It's almost like a like origin story or like a, a like Batman greatest hits kind of like... Like it's maybe not the first Batman comic you'd give someone, but it's like the third. <laughs> um, sure. Anyway, so, so they cover some of those sort of like big questions of uh what like it means to be batman as well as kind of the broad strokes of the origin story and ultimately uh, agree that if the batman entity which is kind of conceptualized as like the focused totality of batman's rage and fear can uh accept that 
that the Batman has to be more than a symbol of fear and also has to be a symbol of hope for good people in Gotham, then Bruce Wayne will accept the moral responsibility for the consequences of failing to take such extreme action as uh, killing Joker or... uh, you know, ceasing to be Batman at all or, or killing Batman as he is sort of invited to do at one point. Or pilling Joker. <laughs> That's right. Just a, and so, just a and so, that would really be the scariest story of all. Imagine if Joker was black billed. <laughs> Anyways, so he reaches that conclusion and then basically returns to action. <laughs> Rejuvenated and restored. Sure, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I- could not agree more i was gonna say because i the one thing i did go read speaking of outside reading mm-hmm. when i saw that he talks about uh the what's the what is it called something of the straight night of the stalker uh i did go and look at that and then when i was reading this i was like oh i can kind of see like the inspiration for night of the stalker in this where it's like it is sort of about i mean like this is also another very obvious like batman thing but it's how like every like everything that happens is like him like reliving the trauma of his parents death and it's like all like very like can i in in less in like a this has inspired me to become a superhero way and more in the like when someone fires a gun i like hear the gunshot that killed Mm -hmm. my parents like that kind of thing um and then i found out that also in this book is like his very direct like i just did not hit the stalker (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but yeah i did i saw a lot of that there and then you know like you said it's it's treading ground that i think pretty much anyone who you know has an interest in comics and sort of has thought philosophically about batman for like 10 seconds <laughs> like <laughs> these questions come up a lot but yeah. i do feel like his and i don't even feel like he really has new ideas per se i mean like no i wouldn't say so either he just like does it so well yeah like this 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 you could call it like the definitive batman like batman dark knight of the soul or batman like considering his batman attitude story mm-hmm. yeah it's it's i i really is an art carry job i would say for this one personally not that like the writing is fine but like it really is just sort of like it's it's hit and miss i would say where at some points i.e the huge (laughs) chunks of expository text are difficult to uh, get through at points and at other times it does it does manage to resonate um pretty well but i do think that the art is really the draw and the the writing is in service of the art in a lot of ways it is also funny because his his style is not one that, like, when you see Darwin Cook art, my first thought would not be, let's have uh, him do a, a graphic novel where Batman sits alone in the Batcave and wonders if he's doing the right thing. Sure. Like, his, his art is so, like, iconic and, uh, like active i guess is how i would yeah, say it, like that i was gonna say it has when like you consider that. how much of this is like batman doing a like f- like raising his f- his fists in like confusion or horror as opposed to doing you know 
the things that Batman is typically more notable for vis-a-vis <laughs> fighting crime and doing kung fu. <laughs> it's it's like not the most kind of like obvious fit. Yeah, but I think I think where the dynamism comes into play is he makes the like bat bat mind. <laughs> what what are we going to call him? Like the the like Batman entity the bat mentity he makes that like very like i mean it's a really cool design i think like like i said like a lot of teeth is always good Mm -hmm. but like he makes that presence feel like a real presence and feel like something that like you are afraid of and like you can sort of understand bruce wayne like even though he (laughs) logically knows that this is not the case like you can understand why bruce wayne would be afraid of him and like Mm -hmm. his presence is very like threatening and threatening and like over not overbearing but like you can he's sort of looming over bruce wayne in this way that feels very like oppressive yeah um i will also say that he gets a lot of mileage out of the fact that it is in some ways a like sort of greatest hits album so Mm -hmm. there are lots of opportunities for the sorts of splash pages where, you know, like the Batman entity will be like, I'm talking about the boy. And then like, that's just in one corner and the rest of the page is like a Robin action shot or, or he'll be like, let's talk about Harvey. And you've got like this portrait of Harvey Dent that is like very lovingly rendered and, and with lots of like thematic imagery all around. Like he's, he's constantly bringing up like the major figures of like the Batman mythos and giving himself excuses to like even like of two faces not in this story but there's like three (laughs) pages of like two-faced stuff that he's able to do because of like where he takes the conversation and when it's not in those like sorts of moments the fact that he is like a very like people will often say he's sort of cartoony which yeah in a way but like I think that more so than other sort of like quote unquote cartoony artists that we've looked at previously, he just is like quite expressive. And I th- I, c- I couldn't, uh, or I forgot to check really, but I think he did the colors for this as well. And if not, then whoever the colorist is did a great job because it, it's very like shadowy. It's very moody. Um, and, and like he knows that he knows how to tell uh, a visual story about a person whose like face is half in shadow or right. you know who is like kind of glowering from a dark corner or what have you yeah i think he he does he, it's the credit is written and illustrated by darwin cook lettered by jonathan babcock so it's safe to assume he did the coloring yeah i mean that's a great point and i think like you know we talked about alex ross and i think you know in a similar vein you know like it i think you know like the word iconic i feel like has to mm-hmm. sort of like it, like it's applied to him in a different way right where it's like yeah for sure he it's like elemental like he like he really can like boil down to like the he, iconography he, like, brings the superhero to life is sort of his his claim to iconography alex ross that is right sure but then like yeah and so like Darwin Cook, I, I feel like, you know, obviously a very, very different style than Alex Ross, but I feel mm-hmm. like they both are, like, they're great at rendering, like, the elemental essence of a yeah. hero or of, like, any character. And so For I feel sure. like what makes this so effective is, like, what you said, where it's, like, you can literally, like, Ro- <laughs> like Robin is, I think, pretty much only in one panel. Like, he's in 
he's sort of alluded to, I think, maybe one or two other times, but, like, mm-hmm. he's mainly only featured in that one panel. And it's, like, if you it's were, like... It's, like, an instant class. It's, like, a pinup. Like, yeah, it's he probably like, sold that page for so much money. <laughs> it's like if you were going to a, it's like if you were like making like the Wikipedia article for Robin, and it's right. like you like, like you're showing a person one picture to be like, this is Robin's deal, and it's like there it is. It's like yeah, he's like doing a backflip over a bad guy with like a huge smile on his face, basically. <laughs> yeah, and like sort of like very clearly like taking on odds that are like much larger than him and like all this like he he can encompass so and it's like you feel you know it gets i think the sort of like log line of darwin cook in a lot of ways is like the timelessness of it because i feel like it's like oh i must have seen that before somewhere and like i'm sure (laughs) there probably is like i'm sure if you looked through like a thousand pictures of robin you're gonna find similar looking shots but it's like it feels so like timeless and elemental that I think that is like makes his work so like just like jumps out at you because it's like yeah. oh like that is like the quintessential Robin. But then also like he's he has like this new creation like the Bat Mentity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like Batman and mental and entity all together. <laughs> I just realized. <laughs> Um, yeah, which is which is also like a very striking design, and, and like you know, there are there is a certain amount of influence behind the Batman to D two, where it's like there's a lot of like Kelly Jones Batman in there who did was like the artist around the time that they did like Nightfall, so like the the Jean Paul Valley Batman that has like the huge ears and like the shoulder spikes and and is meant to be very like crazy looking and threatening looking like there's some of that in in the Batmentity as well. I think like kind of maybe the point of overlap between Cook and Ross who are both artists that could be called iconic and also both artists who don't have a lot in common aesthetically is that they both like I I guess they both understand or because of like their appreciation for superheroes and like classic superheroes, especially they both just seem to have this like inborn understanding of like, I don't need to make these characters iconic. They are iconic. I just need to like remind people why they're iconic. iconic Yeah. Yeah. And like, like they just understand the power of like showing showing people something that they recognize and that like the feelings are already um already like kind of in them you've shared an, a panel from <laughs> ego with me of batman it's like the batman joker. versus joker panel yeah. but more importantly big, i just noticed there's, there's a big cup of coffee <laughs> being poured uh in the background it's of course sprang coffee rep- um, referencing dick sprang a classic batman creator and of course next to it is robinson's uh jerry robinson of course the i want to say the writer uh who wrote joker's first debut but he might have been the artist uh and then there's also i didn't include it in the <laughs> croft image i sent you but there is also like a gotham trust building uh which has like a crazy like it's like a neon sign but it's like that clearly like doesn't exist in reality it's just like mm-hmm. basically like a big label <laughs> with like <laughs> like glowing letters um and i you know to come back to the batman animated series of it all i think that it shares that timelessness where it's like 
why is Robin getting shot at by like fedora gangsters oh, with right. Tommy yeah, guns? Like, we we are in a world where the police have like blimps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, you know like the the I don't know if it's the cover or the original cover or what exactly it is in the trade, but the first page is like such a such a animated series thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, he's like a big statue. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like part of the skyline (laughs) that does have a police blimp in it as well. I just noticed. Well, that's like a classic, like the animated series thing, like opens with a blimp, like flying around with search. Right. And like the like red sky, like that. He's clearly like, I don't know if it's taking inspiration or, well, I guess the, you know, the animated series existed before he started working on it. So I guess it is him taking inspiration there. But like, I feel like they have a similar kind of interest where they're like creating a world where it's like, it's evoking certain time periods, but it's also like sort of combining time periods and like, it's, it's nostalgic without evoking anything specific. And I think that sort of gets back to what we were talking about with him, like, not existing like he's not doing an homage to like some picture from the 1930s like he's making his own thing that has like the nostalgic elements of it that he sort of like mixes together in his stew yes yeah i think like i can't remember which issue it is of the new frontier but one of the covers of the new frontier or maybe it's a splash page in no, I think I think it's a cover. Anyways, one of the like big images of the New Frontier is of the Justice League, and it's like them all putting their like hands in in like kind of like a like you know team huddle type way. Um, and so it's it's just an image of like six hands. And I think about it like a lot when I'm trying to explain like what iconography is in comics because I'm like, this is a picture of six hands, and by looking at them you know who they belong to and he's just like he's got that knowledge of like all you need is a hand and you know that that's batman and then like that's like i guess that like that's the kind of like sensory like (laughs) or or like you just see it and you know and you instantly tap into like everything that that character represents for you and like in that page he accomplishes it for six characters with with just their hands and i think that that same ability as much as like in new frontier i would say it's more on display because he it's it's such like a thing of joy for him and so like widespread across the whole dc universe but those same like instincts are definitely like being leveraged for um, more so for ego than for Catwoman, I would say, but definitely in ego, like he's taking full advantage and, and really like tapping into, I guess, like the history of Batman and Batman publications in order to, even though, like we said, like it's hitting on stuff that's very familiar, but I guess like for him, familiarity is not a problem. It's like, the familiarity of these characters is the whole reason that like they appeal like you want you want the familiar and so i'm going to hit the familiar and and like play the hits but i'm going to do it in a way that like you haven't seen before and i'm going to put my spin on it and most importantly i'm just going to make sure that like i do a really good job of it so that like you're you're not going to be saying like i've heard this song a million times you're going to be saying that was one of the best performances i've ever seen yeah and and he does it for the most part i would say yeah i agree and i think like that 
probably requires a ton of confidence in your work to yeah. like to like basically like dare people to be like go ahead like think of this other song you know and like <laughs> i will like match it or beat it and so like i think that like speaks to and maybe you know without i'm just sort of spitballing here but you know with his history of like not coming in as a comics guy of having that background in art and like knowledge before he really came into the industry it's like because he is not really like a product of any system that maybe like gives him more confidence in his own work to like stand on its own and so it's more like it's like he's getting paid to to like art direct a picture of batman (laughs) almost where it's like him drawing this comic yeah, I was thinking that, like the same thing where like most of the other, in fact, maybe all of the other creators we've talked about are these kind of wonderkins who come in like and and sort of make a splash right from the get go. And we're always kind of marveling like he well, was every like, comic in, has a few of them. <laughs> we're always marveling like, wow, like he was only like 22 when he did this or like she was right. like, she was like just out of art school when she did this like you know what have you these these people who like come in and make such a, an impact so fast and like this is his debut as well but again like he's 37 and he he does have that like surety behind him where he's like this isn't like some kid fresh out of art school making like you know baby's first comic like this is it, it just it does have that element of like I am a professional artist and I have been a professional artist for like 15 years. Like this isn't my first gig. And like, I know a thing or two about like how to tell (laughs) a visual story and how to like put together images that are eye catching and inviting. And like, you know, I have been, I have been an editor. I've been an art director. Like I know my way around a publication. I know what readers like, you know, like and enjoy and appreciate and i am like a technician who has loved comics for a long time even though i haven't been like working in them like i know i know how a comic is put together and so it doesn't have like the same energy in the the way that you know for example like when we talked about early scott pilgrim and the way that it looked like he like could barely control his hand because he was trying it so fast like it definitely doesn't have that energy but it has a like a veteran craftsmanship that like Mm -hmm. you will never see in the debut of like a 20 year old (laughs) right absolutely um and I'm just looking at the, you know, he, where he has his little notes in the trade where he does say he wanted to do, a, he said he wanted to do a story that would encompass the entire mythos. And, that you know, he talks about how them, discuss, he describes the sort of them talking to each other as a kind of dumb premise, which, you know, I think we've sort of said, like, I think that's not uh, totally unfair. Um, but then he's like, he says it'll. Uh, it would allow me to have them discuss all the important moments in their life from different angles. And then he calls it an earnest yet flawed first effort. So I almost feel like it's like he didn't have like total confidence in the story. And so he like almost like juiced up the art to sort of like (laughs) save himself in a way. Because, you know, like you said, like I think that this story with like not super interesting art it's just like okay whatever like we're sort of doing this thing again yeah um even though i think like the batman is like a cool creation insofar as like the way he challenges bruce and like his sort of like his villainousness rather than being more of like a, a seductor a seducer 
<laughs> seductress. He I is suck more. You bus. A, sure, I suck you, bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like the the way that he is more like is like a creature of power and like he's mm-hmm. not like a voice in batman's head he is like yeah, he's like something very with elemental his own and, form yeah. and power yeah yeah i think sorry now i just keep thinking i suck you <laughs> <laughs> what were you just saying before you said that i don't remember you know that he wasn't oh, oh like, it was it was unrelated i remembered it um yeah i think I think I just th- I think he does a really good job of drawing you in by virtue of the fact that like again going going into this knowing like this is a story about like how if you think about it Batman's actually kind of effed in the head like right. he's pretty crazy like if you think about, about it yeah <laughs> famously um, it's a joke but, for no one uh, it's for me um, but he. he does such a good job i think in that like the inciting incident like the guy the confrontation he has with uh what's this guy's name he's got a great uh great like stooly uh henchman name oh it's of course impossible to read <laughs> buster it's not buster scruggs but it's it is not it's buster buster snibs <laughs> buster snibs what a what a name on buster snibs um but yeah like the the inciting incident vis-a-vis his confrontation with buster snibs and the way in which buster snibs like makes him actually like stop to consider like if he's doing the right thing like i think it is a like sufficiently sort of horrifying incident where it's like the guy like looks batman in the face like lays out like here's how you drove me to like murder my wife and child and then kills himself is like an incident where it's like even if you're batman like you don't see that every night and that is the kind of thing that makes you go back to your cave and be like is this all (laughs) like have i made like a terrible mistake by like even trying to do this if this is like kind of the consequence it has in people's lives like the first couple pages again very visually interesting but the narration is like so heavy-handed that you're kind of like can this possibly be good but as soon as like that as soon as buster snibs shows up you're like oh I think maybe actually it can be pretty good because like that's a pretty good sequence. <laughs> yeah, and just like the the idea of a character being like, I'm not afraid of you, Batman, because like my death warrant has already been signed yeah, by you uh, to be carried <laughs> out by the Joker. So like, <laughs> um, is there anything else we want to say about this little ditty? Just to, just vis a vis like the cursive. <laughs> which is impossible to read that is like one of a couple of nods to kind of like frank miller's batman and the batman of the 80s because year one um by frank miller with art by david mazzucchelli uses like introduces that cursive script for uh like batman's narration boxes because it's supposed to be like batman's log basically or like his his journal um so it has like dated entries uh in year one but it's all it's all supposed to be like handwritten it's insanely hard to read in that book but because it was batman year one they were like and of course from now on batman has cursive written and like like narration boxes that are impossible to read (laughs) they're so bad all the time i did also notice one stray thought bubble which i was like 
I can't remember the last time I saw both a narration box and a thought bubble used in a way that was not a meta commentary on narration boxes versus thought bubbles. Right. <laughs> I don't think I noticed that, but uh, it's like it's like funny. when he's in like the Batmobile right after the Brian Snips thing. Instead of a narration box, he has a thought bubble that is basically like why me? <laughs> Brian Snips. Should <laughs> I say Brian Snips? <laughs> So um, Brian Snips, which I think is the <laughs> robot from Futurama. Uh, the reason that I said that is because there is a like comics store owner and journalist named Brian Hibbs, who uh, is is well known. But <laughs> Buster Snibs, of course, forgive me for not remembering his silly name. Formally, Nine Panel Grid, which is not a Frank Miller thing. That is like usually most commonly associated with Watchmen. And this is kind of like people people really love to like ape the nine panel grid these days um but i feel like he uses it in the way that is most watchmen that i've seen in a long time in that it's not literally nine panels on every single page it just uses that layout and like combines panels in ways where it's like if it's not nine panels it's because some of the panels have been merged um right to make like a slightly larger panel but but still like conforming to the the grid which i gotta say like for a story that is about like an unraveling psyche using like a rigid formal technique like that it maybe wouldn't be my first choice but i i mean i think he pulls it off okay and i do think that it is also like uh, Dark Knight Returns uses a 16 panel grid instead of the the nine panel and is similarly sort of like slavish with it. So I do think there is a, like a bit of a nod built into that. But um, you encountered the nine panel grid <laughs> outside of Watchmen before that you can recall. I don't really notice stuff like that usually. Like I didn't really notice it here that it was sort of like all identical in that way. But like the one thing, you know, we we to go back to the sort of idea of gutters or no, it's not even a gutters thing. It's more just a way, the way that he, he lays out a panel is like the pacing is really interesting for that. Like it lets him do some interesting things with pacing. Sure. Where it's like, like, you know, you're going to have nine panels on a page, but that doesn't mean you're going to have like nine sentences be spoken or like nine actions be done. Yeah. It's it really gets like harped on because everyone who is like doing a heady comic book since 1984 is like, and of course I'll do a grid because that is like what smart right. comics do, especially like mainstream comics. Um, so it's kind of like easy to make fun of and and is like borderline a meme at this point. Uh, played AF as the kids I'm sure would uh, would say. But um, I do like I think it's kind of too bad in some ways because as like a narrative technique, it's like one of those ultimate examples of like you handcuff yourself and it, in right. one way in order to like unlock creativity in another way where it's like the pacing is quote unquote set. But then when you start to work within that sort of like rule that you set for yourself, you'll end up doing stuff you never would have done if you didn't say, I'm going to do a nine panel grid on every single page. And the result is, is I guess good more often than it's bad in my personal opinion. Um, as to like whether it's necessary or whether it's the best option, that's maybe a bit more <laughs> up for debate. Sure. But I do I'm, think it works okay here, despite again, like you know, when you're thinking mental unraveling, you don't necessarily think like rigid structure, <laughs> right? But I almost, 
I almost admire that, you know, maybe that it's like almost like a Kubrick thing in a way where it's like the formal structure is so rigid and that like, like you said, like it sort of unlocks other things. Like mm-hmm. I don't think like it can almost be too tempting to like take the obvious choice in some way and like let the sort of formal style dictate or be dictated by the content as well. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of like that it like doesn't sort of like surrender itself to that in some way. Um, also like because there's so many like flashbacks and allusions to other things, you know, you're cutting away a lot. Like there's other stuff to it's not like here's a close up and here's a wide shot and then here's the reverse shot. It's like here's like a wide shot and then like we're cutting to some other guy and then mm-hmm. like we're cutting back to me and then like yeah there's a beat. The, the grid also works perfectly for those the sorts of like um like the interstitial panels and like the juxtaposing things where like yeah. you know when if you want to have something where it's like you know headshot with dialogue cut away for like you know thematically resonant image with caption box cut back to talking head with dialogue like it's perfect for that kind of thing and there's tons of that in uh, in this of course yeah and he does a lot of like you know sort of like split panel half faces yeah not faces <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but you like the like where it's like you know it's juxtaposing like you said juxtaposing two things showing two have half faces that sort of fit together you know obviously the obvious one is like you show bruce wayne and then you show batman but mm-hmm. you know he uses it in other ways than this which i i do like um we have managed to talk about this 64 page comic for almost as long as we talked about <laughs> 15 issues of snot girl um and i know you have a heart out emotionally in- distressed roughly 30 minutes oh boy so let's let us talk about selena's big score a very different story uh that that i think it's this is really like kind of like the other side of darwin cook and also like when you consider how standalone of a story it is there's like so much continuity (laughs) in in this (laughs) Yeah, that's why, you know, like I, I mentioned before, where I like I was Googling Stark because I was like, mm-hmm. this must be a guy. But no, <laughs> like, no he's just he, he's he is an not. original creation. And it's like, why hasn't anyone brought him back? Because like, I feel like people love so much to like, bring back a random guy mm-hmm. in like, a, a, whether it's a gangster or like a cop or whatever in the like Gotham oeuvre. Like, well, that's like exactly what Slam Bradley is. Right. Like Slam Bradley, who is in this, is like, not that he had like never been around, but his first appearance is like Detective Comics number one, <laughs> because he was like the title character in one of the like stories in Detective Comics. And then they were like, you know, some someone was doing that exact thing of being like, let's go back to the beginning. And like, who else? Like, you know, we all know Batman, but who else was like around in in Detective Comics? And it's like, oh, Siegel and Schuster's Slam Bradley. <laughs> right. That's like let's, a Grant Morrison guy. thing, right? Uh, I, I'm not sure. like, I don't think they would be the one who actually like brought Slam Bradley back, but like their but whole that Batman kind of run. Yeah. The, the like premise of their Batman run is like, what if every Batman story was canon? <laughs> and, right. Like, let's, let's do that. So, so yeah, that like spirit is very much sort of the kind of thing that leads to Slam Bradley coming back. Um, as for Stark, like, like I said, this 
book is basically Parker fan fiction and Stark is just is Parker like he just is <laughs> um, he's a, he's very much inspired by and of course named after uh, Richard Stark the pen name under which Donald Westlake wrote the Parker stories so I, I like I do think that that might be part of it that he is such a clear such homage. An homage yeah that that to try and kind of like bring him back and treat him as like an original creation is like kind of not the point and then if you're just looking for someone to be like the heavy in your story like there's a million other guys who can do it um and of course like darwin cook just loved parker so much that it's sort of like if you don't have that same love like why would you why would you go to this particular guy i guess yeah but it's like you know it's like it's ostensibly like Catwoman's mentor in a lot of ways like i don't know if there's another like if they've established other things for her sort of history in that way but like that stuff and just like i feel like he just has like a very instantly iconic look like he has the white hair Mm -hmm. he does also die at the end of this story (laughs) oh no a character died <laughs> that's right this book is also not uh actively retconning the death of catwoman <laughs> <laughs> sure um, uh do you want to give us a quick uh, a quick synopsis of selena's big score sure so selena and uh, i i was reading later and found out that this was like a prequel to the catwoman series yeah it's um, it's kind of a bridge between a slam bradley backup that they were doing in detective comics and the launch of the catwoman series proper right which is funny because i was like this is it is like very cool how self-contained and like complete this is um and again it's like this would be a really good movie mm-hmm. um but it, so Catwoman and Selina Kyle are both presumed dead. She starts in Morocco and she is trying to like get some treasure of some description. Uh, she fails. Oh, that's of course the classic cup of Hassan, <laughs> the king's cup. <laughs> we uh, all know this, of course. Uh, so she's forced to come back to Gotham, where she finds out about this score, which is that like uh, some mobsters are buying some heroin. And so there's a bunch of money that's on a train. And she finds out about this from Chantel, who is like a, a woman of the night <laughs> of some description, for Frank Falcone, <laughs> uh, which did confuse and me a little. And we now come to the second name that has an E that I think is controversially pronounced or unpronounced. Oh, Falcone. Sure, because, yeah. yes, the Dark Knight trilogy, of course, refers... Carmine uh, Falcone. Yeah, nonstop to the Falcones and Carmine Falcone in particular. But I, I would have always read that as Falcone as well. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, actually. <laughs> um, do they call him Falcone in the, the Batman? No, they call him Falcone, I think. Interesting. Um, anyways, so she teams up with Chantel, but she sort of realizes that this job is too big for her as like Catwoman to pull by herself. So she enlists Stark, who is her like former lover slash criminal mentor who is now in Miami. They devise a plan with this guy. What's his name? Like Jeff, uh, Jeff, <laughs> his name, Jeff famously. Yeah, of course. Um, 
and they devise this whole plan where they use like a rocket sled to board the train <laughs> and then like hop off onto a boat. Someone finds out about the plan and like hijacks the boat. So There's she, whole... yeah, she sent an or or Chantel sent an email to Selena uh, from Falcone's computer, and then his like nephew basically found it while doing like a tech sweep for him. But then also, oh yeah, people... so so he calls to tip off the Canadian heroin dealers, and right. they're like, instead of doing something about this, we are just going to steal it. F- like from them and have right. the heroin of, and the money. Yes, exactly. Um, so the, the Canadians who have like comical Quebec accents. Oh yeah, like phonetically written <laughs> Quebecois accents, which is hilarious. Um, they sort of like hijack the boat. Uh, what's his name? Stimpy or whatever his name is. Who like runs Swifty, the... of course. <laughs> Swifty gets killed. Um <laughs> And basically everyone ends up dead at the end, except for Slam Bradley, who is a private investigator who was, like, investigating Selena Kyle's death. He, like, basically, like, can't help himself but to save her. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all, like, his, his like, kind of obsession, infatuation with Selena is, like, kind of pre-established in those right. Slam Bradley backups that, I gotta say, like, without those, it does, it, it is, it does suffer a little bit without those as kind of the additional context. Yeah, it just doesn't quite all add up. Like, you don't fully understand exactly, like, what their relationship is and, like, Yeah, how it's much... just one of the, like, the consequences of the ways in which this is like a weirdly continuity heavy book for what a standalone story it is because it's like kind of like part two in a three part story. Right. Um, but you know, it is ostensibly like, I think like what I like about it is that like it alludes to things without feeling like it's in a continuity, like, and also like, you know, is content to not have to explain everything to you or have like an editor's note that you can catch up with Slam yeah. Bradley and pages, whatever. Check out, yeah. Slam Bradley's adventures, uh, in the backup of detective comics on sale now. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so basically everyone ends up dead. Selena like <laughs> is saved by Slam Bradley in a plane and then shoots Sam Slam Bradley, not killing him. Uh, but makes off with the money ostensibly to put to good use and then mm-hmm. it's just like she's sort of like Which left is on the boat by herself kind of the the kickoff of the catwoman series is like she's back in gotham she has 24 million dollars and right. uh, like renewed you know sense of obligation to like the downtrodden of gotham city what is she going to do to you know be the kind of difference maker that she has like seen batman fail to be right that sounds cool. <laughs> um, it's a good. It's a pretty good book. Insanely dark at points. Gotta say, <laughs> I can imagine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like you said. Like, there's almost there's less to say about this because it is so simple. But I really, really like this. It's it's really good. Um, like, yeah. The, the we'll talk so much more about all like the Parker stuff when we get to the Parker stuff, but you can see like why he wanted to do those books so badly because the second that they like let him off the leash and are like, yeah, all right, do your like heist story, whatever. He's like, he goes so ham <laughs> and like again, like it's it's a pretty like by the numbers crime story. Like you're not gonna find yeah. anything that like is totally shocking or breaking the mold or anything like that. It is very much meant to be like a classic like heist thriller. 
but again, I, I mean, in the same way that we were talking about, like, Ego is not breaking any new ground. He's just, like, so committing to do it. It's so committed to doing a good job with it that, like, you can't help but get sucked in. Um, and because he's playing with Catwoman and a supporting cast of characters that he either, like, that basically that he all created the iconography is not what he's relying on. And so instead he's just like, I'm just going to make this like the slickest, like most stylish book you've ever seen. And they're going to hang out in like Miami and Las Vegas and like Morocco. And I'm going to draw Selena wearing like 80 different outfits because like she's in disguise all the time. And like, I'm going to have this like interlude where Stark goes to like buy guns from (laughs) this like redneck (laughs) family that is going to be like so hilarious and good. And like, it's all just like, but, but even that scene is like, like let's see what excuse can i come up with to have uh stark driving a camaro through like the grand canyon (laughs) right and like like i said like it is it it is just a movie like it's just a movie in and i mean that in like in a very much as a compliment that like it's i i love how self-contained it is i love that it will like throw in characters for a scene and like just have them sort of like come in and out I love that it, like, uses all the different locations, like you said. Like, it just feels so much like <laughs> like a really good execution of this type of movie. Mm-hmm. And, like... It, it feels like uh, like out of sight or, like, like a movie I was going like to say, I would or... love to see Steven yeah. Soderbergh's uh, <laughs> Selena's Big Score. <laughs> Where it is so very much like... Like, I, like, I've read Out of Sight, which, again, Elmore Leonard is kind of in the same vein as Donald Westlake in terms of just being, like a reliable like steady hand who writes like good crime stories and like no more no less and has like made his career on that and so out of sight as a book like it's is fine and it is really like the movie that elevates it with like the chemistry and you know the the again the stylishness and the ways in which the script is kind of punched up and I wouldn't say that like I, I like the Parker books a lot more than I like most of Elmore Leonard's stuff, and and so I would say this is more like a cover, but it's very much the same ethos of like if it ain't broke, I'm not gonna fix it in terms of like the knowing bones. what appeals, yeah, what appeals to like me about these stories because he's like a huge fan of of crime fiction, and he's like I know what I like about these stories, and so I'm not gonna take any of that stuff out. I'm just gonna put Catwoman in. <laughs> Yeah, and, like, I think that almost, like, it being a comic instead of a movie, it it has a lower assumption of, like, well, like, you're watching this movie, so, like, you're going to watch this scene even if it's kind of boring. And so, like, it, it does go out of its way to, like, make every scene a good scene. Yeah, and, and, so, and like, it moves quite a bit faster, too, of course. Yeah, and so it's, like, when I, like, if it's, like, I feel like I'm watching a movie and every scene is good and like it's cool (laughs) then like why would i not love it yeah yeah it's uh again like not as much to say about it because it's place is sort of like weird in terms of what it has to do legwork wise to set up the catwoman run while also paying off like the slam bradley stuff and existing in that weird kind of like spot but like that stuff does kind of pull you out of it and again 
I guess like if there's a complaint to level at it, it's the same one as Eco, which is that like there's just these caption boxes that are like, so anyways, this like happened off page, <laughs> as we all know. There's some uh, massive amounts of Slam yeah, Bradley narration. The I mean, Slam, it's like with Slam Bradley, that is also in part a stylistic decision. Like like I think he sets the stage for that well by having that first caption box, which is like, it was a dark and stormy night. What do you want? I'm a detective, not a writer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's like, you know, he is he is very much sort of like leaning on the tropes of that, like the, the noir detective um, and and like the roots that Slam Bradley comes from in terms of like he's literally a detective character who was created in the 30s and, and he's not shy about kind of making him that. But at the same time, like, he does also have to summarize all the Slam Bradley backups and be like, the mayor hired me to do this, and I discovered this, and they broke my hands, and then I did this, and then now Selena asked me to do this, so I'm doing this. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the, when you compare that to, again, like, a, a full page that is just, like, Stark driving a cool car through the Grand Canyon, it's like, you can tell which one he would sort of rather be doing. But I think when you consider that, like, he does have those masters to serve, and he's got a more room to kind of play in it than he does with Ego, but but he, he is pretty good at, like, getting over those, like, sort of necessary bits and then getting back to the stuff that is kind of really, like, the actual juice of the story. Um, and I feel like there is also a certain amount of restraint in that, like, Batman never shows up nor does like really right. any any superhero like she doesn't even wear her costume at any point I don't other than in the flashback like it's really not a superhero story other than the fact that you know that Selena Kyle in stories that are not this one is a superhero or like a super anti-hero you know however you want to classify it's her it's a but, super universe yeah she she wears a costume at times other than <laughs> during the events of this book but then also but like, her like the suit she wears for like the heist is like very similar to like the more modern but where it's like sort of like a leather or like not leather but like a like tactical jumpsuit but then like yeah. mixed with the catwoman styling and so like it does feel very like in keeping with her usual look as well yeah uh, it was like kind of one of his sort of it feels weird to talk about like his conditions for coming onto this book because again he had published like three things he wasn't like you, you know he he it, it's not like they were begging him to like please take this book I don't think but one of his sort of stipulations was I want to like redesign the costume because basically <laughs> because like Catwoman has never had a good costume and especially since you uh, like revamped her origin story so that she was a sex worker she has like never been drawn in a costume that didn't have like <laughs> cleavage down to the navel so I want to like fully redesign the costume and I will not be accepting notes <laughs> um and and he came up with a costume that uh yeah again is extremely iconic is still basically unchanged in use today um that that is well loved yeah i mean one of our original swag lords <laughs> um he, and i i meant to mention when i was talking about it being movie-esque is that like he does like very directly like he gives like casting notes where he says uh, that 
<laughs> Jeff is his Chow Yun fat. That's right. Which is funny because I, when I saw him, I was like, Wilbur, Wilbur Valderrama. <laughs> I, was, I like, was like, he is supposed to be Latino, right? I, I thought so. I mean, well, I, part of it is that like he makes that joke about being a pool boy that I think it naturally is like kind of Connects. playing with some racial stereotypes sure. uh, that, that lead you in that direction. Right. Uh, Stark is his Lee Marvin, and then he was, and then he just adds, "I threw in Burgess Meredith, Swifty, and <laughs> and Pam Greer, Crystal." <laughs> so it's like, sure, uh, Wait, it's a, Crystal, it does, like Chantel, or I am I forgetting Chantel. another character? Maybe he changed the name of that character at some point. Maybe yeah. And and he says, you know, this is in I think 2007. He says that it remains his favorite book that he's written and drawn. So like, I do That's feel like gotta he has predate the Parker stuff. It does. It does. Parker is like late 2000s, he, early 2010s. He is like so obsessed with those books uh, and like puts so much so much energy and time into those. Yeah, and maybe it is just that like he's like I got to do my Parker thing. <laughs> yeah, probably. Like, it honestly, probably is. <laughs> yeah. Um. Is there anything else we want to talk about with that one? Uh, I don't have any anything really more on that one. Just one thing that I thought we could quickly revisit before we wrap up, because I do think it is of interest, is since we were talking about the Batman, uh, the Matt Reeves joint, Ego is one of the sort of like cited inspirations for that. Darwin Cook is a special thanks to at the end, along with some of the other uh, creators of... Uh, of titles that were considered sort of uh, informative to that. So uh, basically I'm just curious to hear like how much did, did you like kind of get the Batman vibes? Do you see the influence, feel the influence? I did definitely get vibes. Um, you know, I think the like, narration certainly is like, yeah, uh, I don't necessarily know that that is specifically what I would have been like. This is what I want from Eco is the the extremely like kind of dramatic narration, but that certainly is like in keeping with uh, with the voiceover. Yeah, definitely. And like, I just think like the way. Well, maybe less so in Ego, but like broadly speaking, I think that there are some parallels to be drawn in like the way he renders Gotham. Like he sort of has mm-hmm. two Gothams. Like he has the Selena's big score Gotham, which is a little more grounded. I mean, it's really just New York. Sure. Yeah. Even the fact that they talk about like, of course we're upstate with the Canadian border. Like, right. 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 Uh huh. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, like the, it's, it's more grounded than, than like an ego where it's like we said, it's more of that timeless art deco mm-hmm. animated yep. series kind animated of type series. Beat. Yeah. But yeah, but Selena's big score, I think does share some similarities there. Like, but then it's like the like heading excessive, perhaps narration isn't really like that's not exclusive to Batman ego. No, it's not. I, I think probably one of the other sort of like, I guess like the self-doubt and self-questioning and sort of like I came home after a hard day and I like Mm -hmm. want to die. I think like the, I think I, it's, it's a very rare thing where I think the visual of the comic book is as much sort of the inspiration as any of like the narrative content. Like I do think that just like the colors and the vibe and the tone and the mood are all kind of, what I would most point to maybe even other than that, the conclusion is kind of the same as what he reaches in the movie with just a vis-a-vis like, it's not all about being like 
this force of nature that terrifies everyone he comes across. It also has to be about, um, you know, offering hope to the the people in Gotham City who are innocents or who are victims. Um, like Batman has to be able to be both is sort of like where where they ultimately land in the Batman as well. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, there are a couple of other, like, I don't know if, did you read like all of these? Like some of them are stuff he's, he drew. There's the monument. (laughs) (laughs) I was, uh, I was under a little bit of a time crunch. So I, I read a cup, like I read the Madam X story from black and white, which I had read before. And I flipped through, uh, some of the stuff from solo, but I didn't get a chance to read all of it. Yeah, well, like, there's there's the monument, which is just, like, a weird bit about, like, a Batman statue, mm-hmm. and it becomes, like, a political hot button, and Batman is, like, drawn insanely. It's Bill Ray does the art. I don't know if you're familiar. I assume you I'm are. Not. W-R-A-Y. Oh, maybe I am. And he, he does it in very much like a Frank Miller, like, Dark Knight Returns kind of way, where, like, Batman's really ugly and has, like, a crazy <laughs> chin. Um, oh. <laughs> Sorry, go on. And, and it ends with... Uh, Batman blowing up the statue, <laughs> which is a good bit. Um, there's this little, really quick uh, date night thing uh, with Tim Sale, where it's just basically like Catwoman and Batman, like having like a play fight with each other, and she's sort of like it ends with like her stringing him up, basically. Classic, uh, which is fun. They also uh, collaborated on a Superman thing. That are we? I can't. I'm gonna now have to look. I don't think we were gonna cover it because it's just like three issues. But they worked together on a Superman I don't think we book have any as well. Superman stuff in here, no. That uh, that's like a really interesting combination because they are two guys that have a lot of similarities. I think, despite being very ultimately very different in their styles. Um, they feel like they have sort of like the same origin point, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Like if I mean, you're tracing the artist family tree. Yeah. And he, he talks about like Tim sale being a stylist. He talks about how they like, it was a very collaborative effort that like he just sent, like they did it the Marvel way that where like he sent a draft and then Tim sales sort of like fleshed it out in that way. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is deja vu from solo, which is just like, like his, his take on, night of the stalker which i guess is like taken from he did like uh animated series like he did like his take it's like the animated series version of night of the stalker and then turned right. that into like a, 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 a thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are those things called um, um and, yeah. and that the the only thing to note is that that also has jeff and stark in it as the two thieves uh, are you are you familiar with Solo at all prior? No, I don't even really know what it is now. It's it's a very like again experimental in sort of the same way that you might consider just imagine to be <laughs> experimental, but I think more successfully was they basically were just like it's forty eight pages. We're giving it to artists, and if they want to work with collaborators, they can. But we're not really like doing any editorial we're just like giving it to uh like visionary artists and saying like you've got 48 pages to do like almost literally whatever you want and so it's very like scattershot in terms of like genres and styles and all of that but it it is really cool because sounds cool they they yeah it's like it's like free reign 
edited probably as lightly as as any series is uh, is going to be through the big two and of course uh you know big big old izzy for darwin for his issue um, but but yeah if you like when you run down the list of the the creators who took charge tim sale which i think that that story that he did with cook is from solo yeah. as well yeah richard corbin paul pope howard chaikin darwin cook jordy burnett mike allred teddy christensen scott hampton damian scott sergio argonas insanely <laughs> and brendan mccarthy which is like again a real laundry list of like there's some icons and like legends of the industry in there there's also maybe one or two guys that i have never even heard of before <laughs> but um, um there's a it's a it's a citation needed but there, there's a list of like people they were considering for future uh issues and i some of the names that i recognize but it's like dave gibbons tony harris jg jones uh walt yeah, simonson say that bruce tim i recognize more of the possible future names than i do uh or, uh, maybe that's not true there's more there's more names in the possible future but um i feel like that's also always going to kind of be the case because if you're like who who else could we get to do this you're going to have a list of names that is going to be pretty recognizable by and large because they haven't yet had the opportunity to say no <laughs> sure um but yeah anything that you want to add um, no, not uh, not in particular. Again, we're looking at stuff that's from fairly early in his career, uh, and I don't believe that there were any awards nominations associated with either of the two sort of main books that we have talked about at this point. But uh, nevertheless, both have have sort of grown into becoming uh, much loved and and very well remembered uh, stories that. It probably they they probably flew under the radar a little bit with him not really being a recognized name, but he is the kind of guy that when you read the New Frontier, you're kind of like, what else has this guy done? <laughs> and uh, and go and search that stuff out. Right, definitely. And like, yeah, I think that coming into this, like reading these made me a lot more excited about the miniseries because like coming into this, I was like, I don't know anything about this guy. I know the New Frontier. I remember that being really good. And so, like, I'm sure this will be cool just on, like, the strength of the comics, but I don't know, like, how much there is about the guy. And now I feel like, especially knowing that he does, like, have the Parker graphic novels later on, <laughs> I'm like, oh, like, there is, like, there's a there there in terms of him as, like, like you said, like, an iconoclast or, like, a, an auteur in that way that we that we like to talk mm -hmm. about. Yeah, he, I, I, like, I might even go so far as to say that he's sort of, like, the biggest personality we've covered yet. Satrapy might might <laughs> take the the top slot there, but, yeah, he's he's definitely a, a singular figure and, uh, and yeah, someone who, uh, whose work I like a lot. So looking forward to continuing to uh, dive in. Well, we shall be doing that next week. We are, uh, as we've alluded to a couple of times, we're taking on his probably his best known uh, creation, which is 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 it that this the DC the New Frontier is the name of the series, and Justice League is the movie. We should do, are we going to do the movie? Uh, we can we can discuss that as a possibility for sure. Okay. I've never actually seen the movie. I don't think I... I maybe I have, actually. Um, anyways, we will be doing DC The New Frontier, 
that will be a goodie for surety. So you do not want to miss that. In the meantime, <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, remember to give us two stars, rate and review, etc., etc. <laughs> One for each of us. <laughs> exactly. We're the two stars. Uh, <laughs> we added up. You've got four. <laughs> and that's not a half bad rating. <laughs> In fact, it's eighty percent bad or twenty percent. I don't know. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. Got the runs pod. Email us at gottherunspod at gmail dot com. Follow me on Twitter at chousenjan. You can listen to uh, High Floor, Low Ceiling, and Bevy of Bevies. Uh, but that will do it for this week. I'm trying to like just sort of be smooth with it on the outros from now on. What do you? How do you think I'm doing? <laughs> I think that stopping to talk about <laughs> your approach to your outro style <laughs> is is somewhat. Uh, uh against the, your your stated goals perhaps but this episode is now over so i guess our discussion on the matter will have to be to you said have to be That's <laughs> That's are we going with just continued <laughs> our smoothest intro we have without a doubt